All right, so you've joined us to listen in on what I think might be some of the slowest news cycles with Apple that we've had in like recent memory. I can't, I can't think of anything, any other time that has been this slow. What about you, Robert? I mean, I think a couple months ago we thought things were slow, then who could have imagined now? I mean, with everything Granted, else going on in the world, yeah, it's a serious it, situation. It, yeah, it makes sense. It's not a bad thing uh, that Apple is going slow. It's probably a good thing that they're not trying to release a ton of stuff right now. But when we're trying to do an episode for a podcast, we we kind of had to uh, uh, think outside the box here. But, you know, we realized that <laughs> we had been gone for so long that we actually haven't talked about the iPhone 12. There's been a ton of rumors on that. So we figured, you know, this is probably a good time to think forward and think about what we're going to get in the fall or maybe even a little later on. That's right, Matt. Also, if you guys have your own thoughts on the iPhone 12, anything Apple-related, uh, you got any apps, you got some tips or tricks, give us a call. Let us know. Our number is 949-354-3508. We'll put that in the show notes as well. Give us a call. Let us know your name, where you're calling from, and uh, you know, comment. You want you want to talk, chat about Apple? You got a question? There's a issue you just can't fix? Let us know. We'd love to cover it. Uh, we got actually a message, Matt, before we get an iPhone 12, Brad Cadwell, let me get this right, on Twitter tweeted us. He has been a, a very longtime veteran Apple Circle supporter and a friend of the channel. We appreciate him. He tweeted us. He was happy the podcast was back. And he had a question about what we mentioned last week about the eGPUs. Uh, he kind of wanted to see if we could do a little bit of a deeper dive into the eGPU setup and performance. And also, he says he's looking to upgrade his Mac and wondering if he should go with the 13, 14-inch MacBook Pro plus the eGPU. Excellent combo. Or if he should go for the 16-inch version, mainly because the 13-inch MacBook Pro does not have a dedicated graphics card, and the 16 does. Uh, so, Matt, you want to touch on that? You've you've had the eGPU for a couple of weeks now. How has your performance been uh, since we last kind of discussed it last week? Yeah, I mean, so far it's been pretty good, and uh, you know, I haven't done a ton of really intensive stuff. What I've noticed is in the day-to-day especially in Final Cut, like you notice for me, at least I see the rendering is a little bit faster. I see when I'm using these plugins like Motion VFX, it's a little bit faster. And it's it's not so much that it's uh, a blazing fast system. It's not like I have a Mac Pro now or anything, but it's just one less thing I have to think about quite as often. And I think the probably for numbers wise, the, the one that I've seen is let's say I'm exporting a video like a ProRes file in Final Cut Pro. If I don't have the eGPU plugged in and I export, the internal GPU that I have in this MacBook is basically pegged. It's like all the way being utilized. It's as much as it can do. Uh, But when I have the eGPU plugged in with the Vega 64, which is the card that I have in the Razer Core X, it's, you know, it's using the eGPU probably like, I don't know, like 40% and the internal GPU is not being touched at all. So it's like, that's probably the best number I can give you of of the difference. So it's like, it's not like I don't want a Mac Pro or anything, but it, it's definitely helping. Yeah, it's also interesting. We've learned a lot over the past couple of weeks kind of the shortcomings with Mac OS and some of the programs on how they deal with the eGPU. So the setup process is easy. As long as you have an AMD card and you have a supported uh, enclosure, you basically plug one cable in and the computer works and you're, you're basically good to go out of the box. Uh, but to get these programs working, you either have to like go into Final Cut and then select the eGPU and you know make sure it's using the right one, or you have to like right click the program, hit get info, and then there's like a little box you have to check to prefer the external graphics card. They don't exactly make it simple. I think macOS could do a better job with that. Yeah. I know it's more of a, a niche thing, but still it's really weird. I mean, it's just really strange because when you plug in the eGPU, it instantly works. And it, you know, you get the little uh, menu bar icon up at the top where you can disconnect your eGPU and stuff. So it's like, it's obviously built into the system, but for whatever reason, you have to go in app by app and actually tell the apps that you want to use it. I don't understand why, why you wouldn't. I mean, I guess, I guess the theory there would be that if the eGPU you're plugging in is less powerful than your internal card, like if you had a Mac Pro or something, maybe that's why you would want to do that. You don't want it to use that eGPU, but it seems like there needs to be like an eGPU section in the system preferences to maybe configure it a little bit better. Right now, it's kind of like a plug-in and you can kind of just hope that it works. Exactly. And there's really no way to know it's working besides the fact that you have to open up activity monitor and just like monitor it and look. Um, Also a weird issue we've encountered with Final Cut, which it seems like this is an error that's been going on since like the fall and just has yet to be fixed, which 
boggles my mind. But if you go into Final Cut, typically how we export our videos for Apple Circle and for the John Rettinger channel is we do a preset that uses H.264. Um, so when you go to export that file, for some reason, Final Cut will use the eGPU when you're doing things in the timeline. But once you hit export, you then lose that eGPU and the system just defaults back to the built-in card, which doesn't make any sense to me. I don't understand why it seems like a bug. I know you've, you've experienced this as well, Matt. Yeah, uh, I mean, I think it's definitely weird. a bug only because in the past it didn't do that. It seems like that that is something that is recent with the latest build of Final Cut, which is, you know, it has been out for a while, so it's kind of weird that they haven't fixed it. If it's intentional, it makes even less sense because, I mean, I don't see why it wouldn't utilize the GPU when, you know, in exporting and rendering, that's one of the things that uses the GPU. The reason I think it's a bug is because if you export a master file in like ProRes, it does use the GPU. It's not like Apple didn't think of this as a scenario to use the GPU, just seems like there's an issue there. There are definitely lots of reasons to go the eGPU route. I mean, it's nice to be able to kind of mix and match like different cards and enclosures. I mean, the enclosures are relatively cheap. You can get them from Sonnet. You can get them from Razer. Uh, Blackmagic make ones or a bunch of these different boxes. Then what's nice is it's so easy to swap cards. You can upgrade a card when you need a little bit more power. Or you can swap things around as long as it's uh, AMD, it's going to work natively with macOS. NVIDIA used to work with macOS with some hacks, but there is absolutely zero way in the current version of Catalina to get it working, so don't even try. Uh, I don't know if it works. I think you might be able to get it working in Boot Camp, maybe? Um, I think it does, yes. But there's a lot of, you know, advantages. I mean, you can have, like Brad's kind of saying, get a 13-inch MacBook Pro, uh, doesn't need an internal, uh, extra, well, a powerful, dedicated GPU, rather. You could have, you know, this light computer you could take home, plug in, in with one cable, and then have all this power, uh, which is nice. But I will say a couple of caveats to that is one of the things I've noticed is you need to have a decent CPU and RAM to complement that eGPU. So kind of like what Matt said is the eGPU is nice, but don't expect it to be a miracle machine. It's going to definitely help. It's going to be way better than the internal graphics card, but it's not going to take your MacBook Pro, your Mac Mini, and turn it into a Mac Pro. That's just not how it's going to work. So I would try to spec it out the best you can, get the best CPU uh, performance that you can, the best clock speed uh, for those cores, uh, get an appropriate amount of RAM, um, but what do you think, Matt? Should Brad go with the eGPU combo with a 13-inch or 14-inch MacBook Pro, or should he go with the 16-inch, have a dedicated card, and just be done with it? Well, I mean, it kind of—I think it kind of just comes down to your use case. So for us, the the way that we work, I think the eGPU actually makes a lot of sense because you know a lot of the times we're on the go or we're working somewhere else. So having a laptop makes sense, and if you're going to have one machine, then for us, having a laptop is helpful. So when we're here editing at the office or at home and we you know, want that power, we can plug into the eGPU and we have it. But sometimes we need to take that computer with us. If we're going to like CES, for example, is a great great example of when we always need a laptop. And having that is, is if you're gonna have one computer, then the laptop is the way to go. But if you're not gonna be on the go a lot or you're, you know, you're have your office set up at home, that's your main station and you're just, and you're getting a laptop because it's kind of what you're used to or you just kind of don't want to get anything else for price or you know whatever the reason is you just want a laptop then maybe it might be worth getting the kind of more high-end computer so that it, it's just as good as it can be and you know later on down the line if you need more power then you can get an eGPU but if you're on the go I think honestly I'd go for the 14 inch or 13 inch MacBook Pro and plug it into an eGPU. I don't know about, what do you think, Robert? I was just gonna say, best of both worlds, get the 16 inch, save your money, and then get an eGPU down the line if you wanna have that as an option as well. That will say the one disadvantage of the eGPU, which is a very specific use case, but if you use one of these Thunderbolt 3 docks, like we talked about, about last week, these CalDigit docks, the way the uh, structure is for Thunderbolt and like bandwidth, you have to plug the eGPU for optimal performance into the MacBook Pro on its own um port so you basically are taking a one cable solution to two because you want to have one cable that goes to the dock that lets you do all the um you know peripherals and you have your actually not not plug your monitor you plug everything else into the dock and then you have the eGPU and again something else we also didn't do before is to take advantage of the eGPU you really need to have your monitor connected into that eGPU so again a little bit of a 
more of a specific use case, but something to keep in mind because those docs are super helpful. You really can't plug an eGPU into that dock. So your one cable dream is going to turn into two. Not a big deal, but keep it in mind. Yeah, so what I did is I just, I took the two cables, they're both Thunderbolt cables. I have them going into the same side of the computer. And all I did was take a little Velcro strap and strap them together so that they'll never be apart. And basically, whenever I unplug them, they're always together. I could plug them back in. You know, it's just as easy as one cable almost. So, you know, it's not quite as elegant or seamless, but it's it's really not that big of a deal. And the power, I think, is worth it. It is really simple. And, I mean, let's be honest, who has actually left their house recently? So my MacBook Pro <laughs> exactly. has literally just stayed in one place <laughs> since I put the ZGPU in. So it doesn't even matter. Yeah. Um, so Matt, should we should we discuss iPhone 12? Uh, well, I think I think before we get into that, you were saying something earlier that I I hadn't actually heard of. So I think we should talk about it. You're saying like free stuff from Apple. Yeah. So Apple decided with their great generosity, which Apple actually has been very um, a vocal supporter of. Uh, you know, finding a cure for the coronavirus and for supplying aid and for, uh, you know, helping people. I mean, obviously, they were like kind of the trailblazer to shut down their stores before everybody else. Everybody else thought they were crazy. They've, you know, kept all their employees on staff, uh, paying their salaries, giving them benefits, even given some of them the opportunity to work remotely as tech support. I mean, you got to give Apple's response to this whole pandemic um, props. They, they've done an excellent job. And in the latest move from them, they are allowing people to watch some Apple TV Plus content for free. So they're opening this up. And again, we've talked about this before. Apple TV Plus, it's five bucks a month, Matt, right? Yep. Correct yep. me if I'm wrong. And they're basically already kind of giving it away if you buy an iPad or a Mac or they, they basically they want as many eyeballs on this service as possible in the first year it makes sense uh, and even now more than ever they want to kind of give back this free entertainment to everybody so even if you haven't gotten yourself a free subscription to Apple TV Plus for a limited time you can now watch things like Dickinson, Ghost Rider, Helpsters, For All Mankind, Servant, Snoopy in the Space and The Elephant Queen for free on Apple TV Plus so I think you can just launch the app you can go to it on your phone and everything should work. Uh, it doesn't look like it offers things like the morning show, which I guess Apple considers more of an exclusive premium show that is not for free. Uh, but it looks like um, everything else here, like the th uh, titles I mentioned, are available for free. No need to pay anything. I don't even think you need to put a credit card in. You just watch it for free, which is super cool. That's and cool. they're also giving extended trials of their pro apps. So Final Cut Pro and Logic, that 30-day trial is now 90 days. So if you wanted an excuse to jump on the Final Cut bandwagon or you wanted to learn the software, 90 days free now is an excellent time to do so. Yeah, I think I'm going to take advantage of that. I... Uh I've been doing these these episodes in Final Cut because I'm just so used to editing audio in Final Cut, so it's just fast for me. But, you know, Logic is sounding kind of nice right now with the 90-day free trial, so I think probably I'll edit this episode in that, so let me know how it sounds. There's some other Apple stuff as well, or actually non-Apple stuff. You can do uh, some other deals. I saw Sling TV is giving two weeks for free, no credit card required. That has been cool. I That's took advantage nice. of that. That's yeah. been really nice. I mean, live TV is definitely one of those things that you either love it or you hate it. I have always, I grew up watching a lot of TV as a kid, so I, I love, love that. Live TV. That kind of like flipping through channels, the guide kind of thing. So two weeks free, no credit card required, so it's it's a great deal. Uh, and then... Um, what one else password, have I seen? Six months free. Yeah, one password is given away their I think enterprise that deal edition. Is still going on. Yeah, that's something to take uh, take advantage of. I also this is not new, but I caved and I signed up for Disney Plus uh, a week for free because oh, you we go. watch The Simpsons, so why not? Yeah, true. Uh, who else is giving deals right now? I saw the Apple one that kind of sparked my interest to to tell you guys about this. Um, but there are a lot of deals to be had, and obviously the carriers are all doing some um, you know free data. I will say if you're looking to switch. Cell providers, maybe I'll talk about this on another episode, but I switched my wife from T-Mobile to Visible, oh, you did which it. is owned by Verizon. I did it, oh, nice. and I'll say a, a short summary, horrible activation process, which for some <laughs> reason you cannot activate on the iPhone. I'm not even joking. I, I, really? I, this is, again, is a huge issue that they apparently are aware of, but do not fix it, which is really weird. Um, but I will say the service has been excellent. You basically are getting Verizon uh level service you're, you're it's piggybacking off of verizon so it's basically verizon um, but it's like actually verizon it's not the mvme or whatever yeah, no that's a that's a hard drive What's, what is, do they call it uh mvno MV, mobile like virtual that. network yeah. operator mvno um but uh it's it, the the caveat is like 
they're saying that if they're if you're in a situation where like there's a bunch of heavy data use, you are going to be the first to get deprioritized down. And I think right now you can even set up and there's no cap, but I think there's technically like a 10 megabit cap. But she doesn't do a lot anyways. And like I was paying for T-Mobile and I didn't see a need to pay for T-Mobile and she barely used any data anyways. And then what's also cool about Visible is they have like this party pay feature where you can basically join into like a virtual family plan, but you don't have to know anybody else. Like I literally went on Reddit and I there's threads every day, every hour of people looking for others to join their party pay networks. And what you get is uh, a discount. So you pay, I think it goes from 40 to 25 bucks a month. So 25 bucks a month, uh, for basically Verizon. And right now it's unlimited, uncapped, and uh, works well. So if you're looking to, to save some money during these uh, trying times, uh, don't be afraid to opt over to other carriers. She's had visible and it's been, I, I've been impressed. I have AT&T and I've been kind of looking and comparing coverage and it's it's really, really good. So, Also, I mean, kind of going along with that, if you're looking to save money, which I think we all are right now, look at your uh, your whatever plan or network you're on and maybe you don't need as much data as you think you do mm-hmm. right now because you're at home on Wi-Fi. I, I looked at mine and I had used no data the entire month. If you're someone who has unlimited data like me, I just actually switched my plan down to a lesser plan because I, I don't need that data. So I saved a little bit of money there. So, I mean, there's a lot of places where you might uh, be able to save some money. Also, I, I guess coming back to Apple, one thing, this is another small thing, but if you have the Apple card, they do have a forgiveness program right now where you can kind of defer your payments. Mm-hmm. Um if you're affected by this uh, situation. So, I mean, there's a lot of things you can do to save money and hopefully make a not great situation into a little bit of a better situation. I, I, I mean, we obviously we love Apple and we talk about Apple all the time, but I will say I got to give props. Apple was really like the first to jump on all these things. They were the first credit card well, not really the holder, I guess Goldman Sachs says that, but they were like the first credit card institution that was uh, on this um what's it called like a not a forgiveness program but like a deferment program like they were the first ones i saw they were the first to close the stores i mean they've i mean they've done a textbook job of doing everything right and uh taking care of their employees so props to apple for that um and i mean who doesn't like saving money so jump on those free trials and (laughs) yeah save some cash you're gonna want to save some money because the iphone 12 is still on the way apparently right (laughs) So, I mean, we we're obviously it's a little bit early to know exactly what we're getting from the iPhone 12, but, you know, we kind of get... We've had a bunch of rumors for the last few months that have kind of substantiated themselves. As each new rumor comes out, it's basically the same rumor that came before it. So the more we get, the more we kind of uh, realize what we're going to get here. And, you know, the basic gist of the iPhone 12, which is kind of what we think it's going to be called, is... I mean, in a lot of ways, it's going to be very similar to what we have now, but this will be the year where we get some sort of design change. Now, whenever I hear or see these mock-ups of what this might look like, to me, it doesn't seem that different, but that's not, you know, it's not necessarily a bad thing, but basically kind of take your iPhone 11 or 11 Pro that you have now and kind of morph it and squeeze it into the design language of like an iPhone 4 or an iPhone 5. So you're going to get those rectangular edges and more squared off design, um, but kind of with the modern iPhone overall design. So you're still going to have that notch, which apparently is going to be smaller, but you're still going to have the edge to edge screen. It's it's like a what I can describe as a 2020 version of an iPhone 5. I'm very excited for this, by the way, to have some kind of design refresh is a welcomed addition since we haven't really seen anything happen to the iPhone since the iPhone 10 design, which granted that was a big year, but that was, it's going to be three years ago now. Yeah. Um, So this should be really cool, but I hope so because some of these design mock-ups we're getting now, which no one really knows at this point, but I, I really hope it's a little bit different because from everything else we've seen, it's almost in a way kind of same old, same old. Like I know we always talk about what could Apple do? What could they really do to make this, you know, special and knock it out of the park? And we don't really know. Um, and there's a couple of cool things here on the spec sheet and on the feature list that are cool. But in all reality, it's, I don't know, Matt, am I a little too pessimistic or is this just not a huge update that everybody was hoping for? Maybe I'm wrong, but I don't know. Are you, is it, are you like, iPhone 10 level excitement and anticipating something huge or is this like going from the 10 
S to the 11. I mean, I think it's probably in between there somewhere. Like we will get a new design, which is nice. And for me personally, I think the iPhone 5 slash iPhone 4, I love that, you know, squared off design. I have the SE here and I've been playing with it a little bit and I love it. I think it feels great in the hand. That's something I've wanted them to do with these bigger phones for a long time. Because I mean, if you think about it, since the iPhone 6, we've just had variations of a design, but they're very similar designs. So I'm excited to go back to something that's squared off. I think that'll be very nice because I mean, if you look at the competition, there's nothing else that's doing that right now. Everything else is very rounded and you're getting these waterfall displays and you know, they look great. They're, they're cool and they're well built and everything. But I think a squared off design is something I'm ready to see. But like you said, there's not that much like besides that, like what else am I getting here? It's like, okay, it's going to have the next processor. Of course, it's going to be fast. It's the A13 chip right now is fast fast enough for me. Like, I don't really need anything faster. Okay. The camera is going to be better. Okay. Well, the camera right now is great. And the rumors of what they're supposed to be doing to the camera doesn't seem like that big of a difference. I mean, everything that you kind of look at in each feature, it's like, okay, yes, it's going to be better, but it's not, it's not like making me thrilled about the next iPhone. I mean, I guess the only uh, consolation right now is at least according to supply chain experts, analysts, this should still be coming on a relatively on-time launch in the fall. So we should still get this kind of normal time. But I guess we can kind of get into the specifics. So we're going to see four iPhones this fall, which is different. So typically we see like an 11 and you have the 11 Pro. So you got the, the regular 11 and you have the, the 11 Pro and the 11 Pro Max. This year, supposedly, the phones are all getting tweaked. So there's going to be two versions of the standard 12, a, what is it, a 5.4 and a 6.1-inch yep. 12. So you're going to get a little bit of a bigger one, a little bit of a, well, actually, same size and then a little smaller. But then for the Pro Series, you're going to get a little bit of a bigger phone in both regards. So you're going to get a 6.1-inch 12 Pro that's up from 5.8, and then you're going to go from 6.5 on the Max to 6.7. So two 12s, two 12 Pros, and uh, bigger phones this year, which I don't know about you, Matt, but I, I really like the form factor of the uh, the 11 uh, Pro. I like 5.8-inch screen size, and I don't know if I want to go... I mean, I guess, I mean, whatever the new thing is, I'm going to jump on anyways, but are you <laughs> opting, are you looking forward to a larger screen potentially, or do you like the smaller form factor of what we have now? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think I would be happy with like a 6.1 inch for the smaller of the Pro, but I'm kind of with you. I like the 5.8 inch that we have now. You you switched to the smaller one from the bigger one, right, mm -hmm. this year? Yes. Yeah, so I, I did the same thing. I used to have the Max, and now I have the regular Pro. And I, I love the size. Just, I mean, it's so much nicer in the pocket. It's easier on the hand, like when you're using it all day. It's not quite as heavy and everything. But, I you know, I get the argument of wanting more screen real estate. The thing for me though is like, what am I gonna do with that more space? And I think that kind of goes back to everything I've really wanted from these new iPhones. It's not so much the hardware because the hardware's so good already. I want something new with software. So it's like, if I'm getting a bigger screen and I could do something different, for instance, like split screen apps, then maybe I would opt for a bigger screen because I know I'm gonna be using it for something more than I'm already in now. If it's just gonna be what I have now, in a bigger screen, then I probably will stick to whatever the smaller version is. Remember, was it the 7 Plus? Was that the first one to do two cameras on the larger version? Or was that... That was the 6S. Was that the 6, 6S Plus? Because uh, I remember... Uh, so, no, 7. I think it's a 7. So I remember I got the Plus of the 6 because it was the first time they were doing a larger phone. That was cool. Then I think I did it for the 6S as well. And then I've always like jumped back and forth. Like Typically, the bigger the phone, the better it is and the more features, but... Lately, because they've both been basically identical, I think we've both just been switching back and forth between, oh, I'm going to go for the larger one this year because it's different, and then I'm going to go back smaller and kind of... <laughs> exactly. I mean, it's that's, again, the perk of the iPhone upgrade program, but I think that's going to be cool, and I agree. I hope that Apple does something with iOS 14 to take advantage of the extra screen real estate because everything we're seeing right now with leaks is these phones, typical Apple fashion, they're going to be basically the same. So pick your poison, whether you want the larger one or uh, the smaller one. Uh, but I hope that iOS 14 can kind of take advantage of that and, you know, lets you do something more with that space. I mean, a 6.7 inch display is very, very big, especially for Apple standards. I think it's the largest phone display they've ever done. I hope there's something special you could do with that extra screen real estate that would kind of make it a little bit more of a better selling point. I, I guess there there is some other stuff that's new that's coming to this. So kind of one thing that we've been waiting Apple to do is we're supposed to get a smaller notch. So the notch will still be there, but it should be shrunken down a little bit. And 
you know, a lot of people hate the notch. And for me, I don't know how you feel about this, but for me, the notch, I'm fine with it because I like face ID so much. Mm -hmm. If, if it was just a notch for the sake of a notch, I would, I would not like it. But the fact that it's still, I think basically only rivaled by the pixel fours face unlock, I'm okay with it. But, you know, having it shrink shrink down is not something I'm going to be complaining about. I can't wait for that day when it's under the screen or it's up mm-hmm. at the top bezel and there's no notch. But I'm okay with this, you know, baby step because the Face ID kind of justifies it. That's something actually so interesting that I w- I've been surprised year over year is, you know, when Apple introduced Face ID, it was obviously a big deal for many reasons. And everyone hated the notch, but... Everyone loved what Face ID did. And I'm to this day surprised that more companies have not really challenged Apple with some kind of true face unlock. Samsung face unlock is not as secure as Apple. No one else has the dot projector. I think, is it LG had a dot projector on theirs? LG has it. Yeah, LG has it. And I think Google has... Google has not a dot. Uh, no, they do have a dot projector, but theirs is a little bit of a different system because it's using the radar system. So I'm just... Um, I'm surprised. But then also Huawei has it, but that's no surprise. <laughs> I'm surprised no one has really challenged Apple. I guess I'm, I'm I'm surprised that like Samsung never really like came out with their own Face ID rival. I don't know why that is. I mean, I well, guess their whole thing is ultrasonic fingerprint reader, but yeah, Face not ID good, is just better. It, it's just better. So I have the S20 Ultra here. I've used it pretty much every day, and it's uh, the fingerprint sensor is not. I don't want to say it's not good, but coming from actual fingerprint sensors to under screen fingerprint sensors it's it's so slow it's it's like half the time i pick up the phone i have to readjust my thumb because it doesn't detect quite well facetime you don't have any of those issues and it's like what's interesting with like samsung especially is they used to have a face unlock that was you know not quite as secure as face id but it was more secure than what they have now now they literally have the version where you can just put a picture up to the camera and it'll unlock your phone it's not it can't be for the sake of convenience or user like there's got to be something else why so many companies aren't doing it maybe it's a cost thing i don't know i just i'm i'm surprised that it's been three years and we have yet to see a real true face ID competitor from them, which is very surprising. At least LG and, and Google are trying. I think Google's is great. Google yeah. is by far, I actually think it's faster than Apple's. They have fixed the issue where you can like ha- unlock it with your eyes closed. Like it works great. I actually like it a lot more. Their implementation I think is better because when you pick up the phone, it knows you're, it knows you're reaching for the phone. It knows you're about to pick it up and it automatically unlocks the phone. So it's like by the time it's even close to your face, it's already unlocked. I think their implementation is actually better than Apple's, but I'm surprised that they're the only ones doing it. I, I, I see both sides of this. Like on one hand, I like to look at the notifications on the lock screen. And okay, I'm going to go from a lock state to an unlock state. Here's what I have kind of, here's what the, the notifications that have built up since I looked at my phone. Now I'm going to unlock and dive into them. But I do like also as well, like Matt's saying, the pixel speed, like you just look at your phone and it unlocks. That's super cool. And that's something that we don't have uh, on iPhone, I don't think we're gonna get that. I, I'd love that option, like a bypass. I just wish there was the bypass option. home screen yeah. option because I mean, like if you really think about it, the lock screen is just the notification center. Like once you're in the phone, if you just swipe down from the top, it's exactly what the lock screen is. So it's like maybe there's a security issue there. I don't know what what the reason is, but. I wish that was at least an option. And I guess that kind of goes for a lot of things in iOS. Like, I just wish I had the option to do it, which I guess would make people say, maybe you should just use Android. But um, there's other reasons. To, to We're not, not going to debate that. that. But, hey, well, that's maybe a, that's another episode. Yeah, that's another episode. Of it. We can go on forever on that. Um, <laughs> other new things to look forward to. 5G connectivity, which is I, such a mixed okay. bag. I can. I I don't understand 5G. Like, not not the technology. I get why it's cool in theory and everything, but it's like people who are clamoring to get 5G in their phone right now. Do you realize that you're not really going to be using 5G for like another three years? Like, I don't I don't get it. Like, if you are buying your phone now and you plan to keep it for like five years. OK, great. Then, yes, you probably do want 5G. But if you're one of these people who upgrades every two years or even every three years, honestly, like wanting 5G I just don't understand it. I remember last year when the rumors are 2020 is going to have a 5G iPhone lineup, which that made sense a year ago, but the infrastructure for 5G has gotten so, has progressed so slowly and has remained so stagnant and so unpredictable that I wouldn't be surprised if Apple didn't include 5G on this phone. I understand the whole idea of future-proofing, but also at the same time, I wouldn't be upset because... I, I, I be do using not, it anyways. I do not expect to get a phone and be able to use 5G uh, in the near future. I don't even I don't even know when a, a correct timeline is. I know that there are pockets of 5G and 5G is cool and we can kind of get into the whole idea of 5G, but 
Well, let's talk about being able to use it. It well, is so in such small small use cases. What's the point? Right, and it's like okay. So there's there's really two versions of five G right now, and I think when you hear five G in like the media, they don't really talk about this very much. But you have millimeter wave, which is what you think of as five G. When you think five G, millimeter wave is what you're thinking of, which is the super fast, more than Wi Fi speeds, like more than a gigabit worth of speed on your phone. Uh, but then the kind of more universal, what is actually deployed in a lot of places right now, is called sub six, which is, I mean, it's it's a obviously different than LTE, but you can think of it as LTE, like a little bit of a better, better LTE. And we've tested it. And honestly, the speeds are not that different. Like, uh, I don't know what to tell you. They're, it's good, I guess, like cool that you can say you're on 5G, but it's not a big, big difference. I, I understand like the best point I've seen made about 5G is like, okay, you're at an airport, you're about to take off on a, co- a cross country, cross Atlantic flight, and you need um, stuff to watch. I totally get 5G is great because you could like download like a couple movies, a couple TV shows in like a minute and you know, you're good, done, ready to go or whatever you want to download. Uh, but in day to day use, especially as it is right now, okay, so you walk into a little area, there's a pocket of 5G and then, okay, cool, I have 800 megabits down or whatever it is. So what? Like, what are you going to do with that? Especially well, because then, the upload's so bad. That and then also you're going to kill your battery life in the time that you're downloading anything. So it's just like, I get in theory why you would want it, but in practice, it's just not there yet. So it's actually really weird to me that Apple would be putting it into this phone. I don't, I don't understand why they would. I don't see the rush. I understand the whole, like, especially if if they really did, um, you know, they bought the Intel cell modem division and if they really got that business really integrated tightly into Apple and the supply chain, I get like, if it's already part of a chip, why not put it in and turn it on? But at the same time, I think that the whole idea of 5G is it sounds nice, but it doesn't work. I don't think we're close to it. Tell me when the timeline is when I can walk outside of my house and I have 5G and I can walk around and experience 5G. I don't know when that's going to be. So I think until then, you know, even LTE was more developed than this. Yeah. So I, I don't get Well, I mean, if you, think, if, if you think back to when LTE was rolling out, like it took Apple a good three years to put it into their phone. And by the time it was actually in an iPhone, like it was pretty universal. You can get LTE everywhere. If they put it in now, 5G, into their phone in this next coming year, there's obviously some fundamental shift at Apple that they're thinking about things differently. That doesn't make any sense to them. Like the component's going to cost more. Uh, They're going to have to sacrifice battery life. I mean, like you said, unless it's already part of the chip and they're just like, what the heck, throw it in there. I don't see what the benefit is. I don't either. So I guess if you're really clamoring for 5G, it should be in this phone. Let's talk about the cameras. So probably going to stick with the same three cameras we have wide ultra wide telephoto but then now the new thing is oh, it's gonna have a lidar uh sensor built in as well yeah well what's the big deal with that matt why so i care so you know this is uh, i don't know if you should care but but <laughs> the the what's interesting is we saw this camera on the ipad pro that was just announced the 2020 ipad pro and it has the two cameras from the iphone 11 but then it also has a lidar sensor which is kind of strange like it'd be uh it's kind of a weird thing to put into an ipad apple says it's for uh ar and we've seen the tests of it and it actually does do its job very well so it uses this lidar sensor to send out light into the world and it detects what's coming back so you get this map of what's what's in your room and for the ar demos that i've seen it actually seems to work really well you can even do some like rudimentary masking of things that are in front in the foreground so if you have an ar let's say a, a mac on your computer that you're using from the Apple website in AR and you have something in front of it, it'll actually try to mask it out, which is very impressive. Like that's not something we've seen really before, especially in a mobile device. But like, it's kind of weird that that's what they put into the iPad. Like who is, who is really using this? That I don't understand. There must be some data out there that people use it, but I've never heard of it. More interesting to me is that this should be coming to the iPhone. Forget the AR thing. Like I'm sure it'll do that too. What I want is for them to use that for their portrait mode. So imagine they can use LiDAR to detect the edges of a subject and it'll actually be correct because it's not using two cameras to kind of guess where the edge might be. No, it's actually creating a depth map with light. So it knows exactly where the edge is. I mean, in theory, 
that could be the best version of portrait mode that you can even have. That's what I'm thinking too. And that seems to make the most sense. And that would be probably the best use case for it. Is there anything besides portrait mode? I was trying to think, is there any other, like, could their night mode technology, I guess, at all benefit from a LiDAR scanner? Maybe with for like the AI stuff? Yeah, like speaking as someone who knows absolutely nothing, maybe <laughs> maybe it can use a depth map and figure out what edges needs to be sharp so right. it can like do a little bit better processing. Like that's the only thing I can think of off the top of my head. But yeah, what else? I mean, I guess for yeah, the AI stuff, it can it could detect the edges so it knows what is maybe a person or what's a, a, a bush or what's a background so it can maybe process things a little bit better, which is doing now already, but you know, kind of knowing even more about what's in the scene could help that. I don't know if that's if they're planning on doing that, I think portrait mode might be the easiest one to implement up front. And I mean, Apple, give them credit. They've had great success with portrait mode, but also they've had some just horrible portrait mode experiences where it just does not do a good job. So it's definitely better than a lot of the competition out there. I still there, think but it's the best. There's I'll, I'll fight everyone to, to the end to tell you that it's the but best But LiDAR should make it even better. Despite <laughs> what you think exactly. about it now, it should be should be even better. So that's super cool. Yeah, what about, you know, I think what's interesting though is that they have it on the iPad now. I, I have a feeling they don't have that feature turned on on the iPad just because they're going to put it on the iPhone. I think so. I think you're exactly right. It's going to come in a software update. Which, which if, if true, it's kind of interesting that this is the first time we're seeing a new camera feature on the iPad first. There's so much weird with this iPad Pro. <laughs> when they released it, why it's so such a smaller update. I mean... I don't know. Um, <laughs> let's talk about the rumor that I, we've heard very conflicting reports on this. Do you think that the standard wide camera on the iPhone is going to go from 12 megapixels to 64? People are saying that it's going to go to a newer Sony sensor that's going to have, you know, 64 megapixels. Do you think it's really going to get better or what's the benefit of that, I guess? Okay, let's this. If all the rumors we're hearing are true on this new iPhone 12, it seems that Apple is kind of going with the trends, which I don't think is a good thing, but let's let's just say that's the case. If they are going with the trends, like they're going to put 5G and all that kind of stuff, well, then adding a higher megapixel sensor is definitely a trend right now. Every phone that you've seen come out has a really high megapixel sensor. The Samsung has a 100 megapixel sensor, 108, I think. Um, you know, a lot of these phones have really high megapixels. And, you know, that's nice because you get more detail. You can do things like digitally zoom. You know, there, there's definitely some benefits there. The problem is when you add more megapixels, you're not really increasing the size of the sensor that much. So the pixels have to get smaller, which means that they will not let in as much light. Now there's, I forgot what it's called. There's a specific term for it. I think it's called pixel binning, where you actually put the pixels together. So say you have four pixels, instead of making them four, you make them one. So it kind of evens out. I would like to see it because I would like more resolution, but I don't think it's a big deal, but they have been at 12 for a long time. I mean, yeah. when, when did they switch to 12? With the iPhone 5? 5S? I don't even know. It's been so long and 12 has kind of been the standard. And I mean, iPhone pictures look so good and no one's really cared. And then you've seen like companies like Huawei who go, we have a 108 megapixel sensor in our phone. And yeah, that's cool on a spec sheet, but it doesn't necessarily produce better pictures. So... I'm sure that if Apple does go this route and does put a higher end sensor in to the camera, then that would probably produce, they would do something with it. I do think it's a little weird that, and I guess it would make sense that you'd get, you know, a 64 megapixel uh, sensor on the wide, but then the telephoto and the ultra wide would be lower quality, which I'm curious how those would kind of mix and match, but maybe it would just be something that, you know, just having that more sensor information would lead to better photos. At least that's the assumption. Yeah, I mean, so I, I guess you can say, okay, let's just take portrait mode, for example. If I have a really high resolution image and then I also have the LiDAR system detecting the edges, I mean, in theory, th those edges should be perfect because you have so much detail and you also have a depth map. So it's like, I could see the benefits of having more resolution. I'd, I would not be surprised if, if they include a much higher megapixel sensor but they scale it down to what you're actually, you know, they do that pixel binning. So you actually have like a, you know, 24 megapixel sensor or something, but it's, you know, kind of compressing everything together. So you get the benefits of, of having more detail, but the end results of having a nice overall image, I could see them doing something like that. But again, it's like if they're doing 5g and they're doing some of these other, other features and they're just kind of following trends, I can also see them just putting in a high megapixel sensor. Do you care at all for 8k video or is that just who cares? At this point, uh, I, I don't care because I'm never going to use it. It's so limited. It's so limited. I mean, everyone, 
I, I we can go on this for days, but like video that you see from all these other phones that now have 8K video thanks to the A65, it just doesn't look good. I'm sorry. Like you can make it look good. For instance, I, I saw Danny Widget made a video with the LG V60 in 8K and they look great. But if you're just shooting normal day to day, it does not look good. I'm, I'm telling you, I've tested it. It just doesn't. I would hope that Apple would do a better job at that, but I still like their video is so good right now. It's like, why even try to taint it? Like yeah. the video is so good. Like why, why give the option of a bad experience? I mean, the cameras are obviously every year they seem like the cameras are the big draw. So that makes sense. Uh, I think that's definitely something to look out for. Anything else, Matt, besides the stuff we touched on for this iPhone 12? I'm trying to think of what other rumors. That's that's kind of it. I mean, like we said, like there are some highlights to this phone, but on the other hand, a lot of this is just same old, same old, same old, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. I think that it'll be Apple's job with WWDC and iOS 14 to really show some cool stuff with software because if the software is cool coupled with some new cool hardware, then that makes this phone a little bit more exciting than just what we're getting right now. So, yeah. Let's well, hope. I guess here's one thing that I know you want that I don't really care about, honestly, but it would be nice is a uh, ProMotion display. Yeah, I we you know we had talked about this before and we still don't know if this is actually going to happen or not. There are rumors back and forth like they are going to do it. They're not going to do it. Uh, also, people are man. People have been clamoring so long for an Apple Pencil support on the iPhone, which I don't care about that at all either. But who cares? I, I get it. But I, yeah, yeah, it's one of those things. I, I think the ProMotion would be cool. I think it's really cool on the iPad Pro. Um, I would love to see it come to the iPhone just if not anything else, just for the fact that it's just another something different almost. I know it sounds so bad to say, but at least it'd be different and noticeable and cool, but I'm not holding my breath for that one. And that's not a make or break it for me. It's cool that these other phones have the high refresh display, but again, it's like AK video. It only works if you're at this resolution and you have this much battery and it's this much brightness. Like Apple doesn't typically do all these caveats for features. So I wouldn't be surprised if they didn't do it until it was ready to be on all the time and just ready to go. So I, 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 I am excited for that if it happens, but I'm not going to be upset if it doesn't. Let's just say that. Right. I'm kind of in the same boat. Like I won't be mad at all that it's there. I've been using the pixel and uh, the S 20 S 20 has a 120 Hertz display and the pixel has a 90 Hertz display and they both look awesome. Like it's definitely smooth. It's nice. And you know, the iPad pro has 120 Hertz display also like it looks great, but it's kind of, to me, it's almost like the same, same thing as 5g. Whereas it's like at the end of the day, what are you really going to do with it? Yeah. <laughs> like the screen, yeah, it looks nice, but I'm telling you, you don't see it after five minutes. Like it goes away the effect. So it's like, as long as I'm not losing something because it has this, then great, throw it in. But if they're going to kind of, you know, maybe my battery life's going to suck or they're going to have to take some other feature away because it has this ProMotion display, like I don't want it then. We did a recent video and someone asked about pricing. I would assume that pricing is going to stay pretty much in line with what it's been for years past. Probably a, a $9.99 start price point for the 12 Pro. 12 is probably going to start at, what is it, $6.99 now? I don't know if the smaller one would be cheaper. I, I would imagine so. Maybe? That'd be maybe, what, That'd be a good $6.49? Move. Yeah, $6.49. I could definitely see that. Or even better, five ninety nine. Uh, I mean, I guess if you go, how much is it between the Pro and the Max? It's hundred bucks, right? Hundred bucks. So yeah, so it'd be five ninety nine. That would be a killer price. I mean, well, so is that too close though to the rumored SE two? Because isn't that three ninety nine? So now you're like two hundred dollars difference. Which, which at that point, I mean, I guess there's these are different markets. But man, if you're comparing an SE two versus a twelve for two hundred dollars, that's just like not but even a that, question. Go for the twelve. Well, that's a maybe that's a good move then, like for Apple to price it that way, so yeah. that more people just get them. Like, ah, it's like two hundred bucks more. And as we know, a lot of people don't even look at the actual price; they just look at how much they're going to be paying a month. Exactly. So if it's literally two dollars more, I think they could sell a lot more of those. I mean, that which actually would make a lot of sense. You'd go from three ninety nine to five ninety nine to six ninety nine to the upper echelon nine ninety nine, and then eleven hundred, and then up, 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 up from there. Uh, but I, I don't know. Like we, we talked about it before. I think Apple is doing a great job providing value for the 12, I guess. Just to touch briefly on it, 
the differences here between the 12 and the 12 Pro is yeah, the 12. Yeah, we actually totally didn't talk about I know, about I forgot about this till right now. <laughs> the 12 will probably not have the LiDAR scanner, um, and right. it will, it's supposed to have 5G, it's supposed to have an OLED display. I don't know if it's going to have all three cameras. I don't think so. I don't believe so. I think no. it's still uh, supposed to stick with tw- uh, two, but still, you're getting two great cameras, you're getting 5G, if you care about that, you're getting the OLED display, um, you're getting the new chip. New designs. So it's still what a compelling phone. What a great job Apple's doing to make. I'd also assume there would be maybe I could see them doing different colors also. So for the Pro, we're supposed to get a new blue color in addition to what we have now. I can see them changing the colors again for the 12 because we had those kind of you know very vibrant colors for the 10R, but then we went and kind of have these more pastel colors for the for the 11. So I could see them changing that up again for the uh, 12. Which I will say, I got. The Midnight Green 11 Pro, and I don't even care. I mean, like, I don't know what the point of getting... I remember, like... That's why I went Space Gray, because I knew it didn't matter in the long run, so I just went with the one that I knew I would like. (sighs) It's always cool, and, like, there's always people like, oh, I didn't get the green for pre-order. I'm doomed now. It's like, after two weeks, you won't care, and now, what is it, six months later? It's like, even two weeks after, like, I, I could care less. I put this thing in a case. I never see the green. The green's cool, but I feel like now... Unless you really care, the color of the phone really doesn't matter unless you don't have a case on it. Yeah, if I got it a, a white one, I wouldn't care more than if I got a, a space gray or I don't know. I used to care back in the day when you would have a white front because I right. hated the white front. So I, I would just never get that version. But now, like, if you have a case on it, you literally can't tell the difference. No. Before we get off of, of this, there's one rumor here that I'm, I'm seeing that we didn't really mention is that possibly one of these iPhones will have an in-screen fingerprint reader. Is that something you would want to see? No. And you know what? I I think that Samsung's whole thing is we have options. You know, they re- Samsung p- pushes the ultrasonic. And I understand the use cases where if you're living in current times and maybe you're wearing a mask, okay, a fingerprint reader would be nice to use. But actually, that won't even, if you're wearing gloves, it wouldn't even work. Anyways, to, to make a long story short in my mind here, I would rather have Face ID. I think Face ID is better. I like that it's secure. It always works. It works well for me. I feel like having both is a very weird move for Apple to do. And I almost feel like going back to any form of touch ID is almost a regression. Uh, so I don't know. I, I'm happy with Face ID. I don't need an in-screen fingerprint reader. Uh, it's not a big deal for me. And I would rather just keep making Face ID better, make that notch smaller. And I'd be happy. Don't waste your time with the under-screen fingerprint reader. Uh, Here's a better you, idea. Matt? Here's a better idea. If you if they want to put an in-screen fingerprint reader in something, put it in a redesigned iPhone SE. Give me the size of the iPhone SE, mm-hmm. but since you can't fit Face ID because there's no space, give me an edge-to-edge screen and put that fingerprint sensor underneath. I'll be happy. That would be that would be so cool. That'd be crazy. That makes a lot of sense to me. That does make a lot of sense. The 5S was the first phone with Touch ID, so like just keep it going. I mean, if you think about it, you know, we saw all these rumors and mock-ups of like this like 11 Pro. Uh, iPhone shrunken down into the body of the SE and it looks super cool, but they all had Face ID. Imagine you didn't have Face ID, but you could get rid of the home button. I mean, that would basically give you... Solves your problem. That would solve the problem. You kind of have the best of both worlds, which that would be super cool. And I'd love to to get our hands on that and play around with that. But I I don't know. We've heard this rumor for a while (laughs) that they're going to bring it back, but I just, I don't see the appeal. I don't see why they do it. And it seems like an unnecessary amount of time to spend on R&D for a use case that is probably more specific. I feel like most people, if given the option, would just choose Face ID because it's just easier than doing Touch ID, but maybe I'm wrong. So, I mean, I'm looking at kind of what we're expecting here, and I'm sure we'll hear more as we get closer, but there's really not that much not much else. I mean, like we've kind of said, I'm more excited to see what they do with uh, iOS 14, which... I mean, really, we should be hearing in like another month. So, I mean, there, I mean that's going to be that should be more interesting to me, at least. It seems like we're good. I mean, we can kind of talk about it briefly, but like seems like we might actually have widgets, which is mm-hmm. kind of cool. Um, you know, there's I, I don't know what else there is. That's the only one that's stuck in my mind. <laughs> that's kind of the biggest one. I mean, we, we don't really know. It's like I, I'm, I'm still super curious. Besides what is announced at WWDC, I just want to see how they're going to do this. I want to see how they're going to do the demos. I want to see how they're going to do the live stream and just like how they set all this up. Uh, That's going to be super fascinating for me to see. But I hope that iOS 14 brings some cool stuff to make this phone a little bit more appealing, a little bit better. Like I kind of said, the hardware is cool, but man, if if the software like got a a fresh coat of paint and it also was kind of like 
a little reinvigorated because it seems like it's kind of been a little stale for a while, that would be super cool. So bring more iPadOS features to regular old iOS and that'd be super cool to see. Yeah, agreed. Or at the very least, like, okay, maybe for this new hardware, like maybe there's something the LiDAR sensor can do that we just haven't thought of and they'll they'll implement it. Like for instance, the Pixel, you have the radar sensor in the front, which I mean, radar and LiDAR are two ways of basically doing the same thing. So maybe there's some type of uh, integration you can get there so that it makes your everyday experience better. Like on the Pixel, the radar really actually works well for when I'm going to pick up the phone or it can tell when I'm looking at the phone or if I'm paying attention to it. Like those are things that actually in day-to-day change how you use the phone. Maybe there's some things that Apple can do there with this new hardware that have really nothing to do with like iOS 14 in general, but give you more from the hardware besides the kind of basics that we can guess. Yeah, the one thing I had seen that was rumored is that the LiDAR scanner will be used with AirTags so that you can basically point your phone around the room and basically with some kind of software communication between the air tags and the phone you'll be able to kind of like visually see an augmented reality where your item is like whether there's going to be like some kind of like floating like arrow or like a pulsating circle or like whatever it is like there's going to be some kind of indication to show you where your item is in like real 3d space that would be kind of cool but I, it's cool, but I I think that you make a better point. Like, what's more like day-to-day stuff? Like, that's a cool feature I'd probably use like every once in a while, but what is something I would use on my phone once a week that'd be like, man, this LiDAR scanner is so cool. I can't believe I didn't have this before. Yeah. I don't know what that is. <laughs> I don't either, but maybe there's something. I hope Apple knows at least. Well, I mean, I, maybe it is the camera. Like, maybe the ca- maybe the camera, the, the portrait modes are going to be so good that you're going to be like, I can't even tell this is not a real camera. I hope. That, I can only hope for that. I don't necessarily think that's going to be the case but i can i hope that's something it's something like that unfortunately we are a very long way away from uh, september still so that's true uh, it feels like it's right we'll around the corner but it also feels like it could be i mean this could be the next longest month that we've ever had so who knows it's been a long long couple of weeks so we'll just we'll say that it's just being i also i would say as an aside i'm a homebody and I typically like staying at home but having no option to do anything outside and just really being at home for an extended period of time has made me realize that oh, I kind of do like going out a little bit more than <laughs> yeah. I thought I did. This is the week where I, I was telling Alexa that this is the week, not my uh, echo speaker, but <laughs> <laughs> my fiance, I was telling her that uh, this is the week that I'm starting to break. Like before this, like the last few weeks that we've been home, I'm like, I mean, obviously I wish I could go somewhere, but I'm totally fine. This is the week where I'm like, it's starting to get to me. I mean, just the option, like I just like to sit down at a restaurant. Like I'd be happy with that. Exactly. Or like, go to the movies and uh, or honestly just go sit at the park. Like we live by the beach here and I just, I drove by the other day because I needed to charge the car. Uh, one, another aside before I say that, I've realized that in a time like this, an electric car kind of sucks. The, yeah. the phantom drain is really bad on the tesla model 3 i let it sit for a week and it is at 60 miles from about 190 wow. at the beginning of the week so i had to go charge it yesterday but anyway i was driving by the beach and um they're all roped off you can't even go for a walk yeah. if you wanted so it's like i just wish i can go like go for a walk by the beach but they can't i mean part of the problem is there's so many people here in southern california that everyone has the same idea so it just ruins everything but we long for the day that there is more apple news and the ability to go outside that's basically (laughs) where we're at Uh, matt i think that's that's it for our our scarce week of apple news um anything else you want to add before i guess we we kind of wrap up no i think that's it but uh, i mean for everyone that's listening thank you so much for listening and you know stay involved like uh, like those that have been tweeting at us and have been listening awesome and again we have that phone number I think maybe we should uh, emphasize we will not answer so you don't have to <laughs> yeah. be worried about us talking to you. It's That's a, true. it's just a voicemail inbox so you can leave a message and we'll answer it here on the show. That's right. Uh, yeah, give us a follow on Instagram, on Twitter, of course. If you haven't seen our YouTube channel, check it out. YouTube.com slash the Apple Circle. We've got some uh, tutorials, how to fix the annoying uh, activity reminder or stand oh, reminder yeah. on your Apple Watch, how to install uh, Windows on your Mac via parallels and uh iphone 12 basically if you want like a complete like room around up of everything we know there's a video on that as well matt as always super fun time talking apple and uh, i guess we'll pick this up again next week